0: You know, there's some things uh, that I just have a really hard time getting. Um, like a few examples, one of them is ice fishing. I don't know if any of you are ice fishers around here, but I cannot figure that out. What would motivate anyone to want to go out on a frigid winter day and spend hours staring at a hole in the ice for the sake of catching a fish? Especially when, you know, De chicos is this just up the road and they've got heat and they've got fish and in 10 minutes time you could be done and on your way and and back home. It it doesn't make sense to me, I don't get it. Um, Some things are hard to get. Do you know that there are people who memorize pie, um, the 3.14 formula, not not the pastry. Um, And they actually have competitions where people recite as many digits as they can remember the world champion is a guy named Akira Haraguchi, and he, is, he holds the title of Master Pi Man. In 2006, he recited 100,000 digits from the pie formula from memory. It took him 16 hours and 30 minutes, and I gotta tell you, I'm impressed, but I don't get it. <laughs> um, believe it or not, uh, Jesus also falls into the category of those who are hard to get. A lot of people scratched their heads when they were listening to him and and encountering him. They had a hard time figuring out what is this guy all about? And that's that's still true. It's still the case. And we're going to look at a few examples of of how Jesus is hard to get uh, this morning. We're in the fourth week of a series on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, it's called The Journey, and we are on a journey of discovering who Jesus is. And hopefully in the process, we're also discovering more about ourselves, about each other, about what really matters, and, uh, and just the world in general. In today's passage, there's three groups of people who come to Jesus with three different questions, and each one is an exhibit and how Jesus is a hard person to figure out. And so what I want to say up front so you have the take-home is that uh, Jesus is just hard to get. We cannot figure him out, but we can only choose to follow his lead. Um, so let's take a look at exhibit number one. It's in Mark chapter two, and you can follow along in your Bible, It's starting in verse 13, or just uh, follow along on the screen behind me. It says this, when he... He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And he reclined at the table in his house, uh, and many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. All right, so this is exhibit number one. Uh, This first question gets asked to Jesus by the scribes of the Pharisees, and and they don't ask the question directly to Jesus. They kind of go sideways. They ask it to his disciples. Um, I'm not quite sure why that is, but it doesn't really matter because Jesus has a very acute sense of hearing. And so he overhears the conversation, and he steps in and he answers the question himself. The question had to do with the kind of company that Jesus had been keeping. Now, for those of you, if you were here last week and you remember, uh, in the passage we looked at last week, Jesus gave a little bit of a show and tell presentation. First, he he told the people that he had the authority to forgive sins, and then he went on and showed it. He, He proved it by healing this paralyzed man. And so here we are in this passage, the very next scene, Jesus is calling his next disciple, who just so happens to be like the poster child of a person in need of forgiveness. Uh, His name is Levi, and he falls into the cultural category of what they called a sinner. Um, Levi's a tax collector, and in the first century, in the Jewish society, that made him a deplorable. Uh, Tax collectors were horrible human beings. Now, when I think of a horrible human being, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, is my bitter Mets fan friend and what he posts on Facebook. So, my bitter Mets, friend friend, Mets fan friend, he doesn't just post to celebrate when the Mets win. That would be fine, but he posts after the Mets win and the Yankees lose. To the Red Sox. That's when he chimes in. And you know what he writes? He writes this, great night for baseball. That's it. That's a horrible thing to say. And I have to say, it is a horrible time right now to be a Yankee fan because either the Red Sox or the Astros are heading to the World Series and we have no one to root for. Any Yankee fans feeling me right now? You're with me on that? Yeah, is just the way it is. But this is very different. Levi is a tax collector. He falls into a whole different category. Tax collectors were considered to be crooks and traitors. So they were Jewish, but they collected taxes on behalf of Rome. Uh, Rome was the despised oppressors of Israel. And and they collected as much as they could squeeze out of people. and, And what they do is they would pocket the excess as profit for themselves. So no one liked them. Everyone avoided them. And according to the expectations of the day, Levi was the kind of company a religious teacher like Jesus was supposed to avoid, not to keep. So let me try to give you a modern-day equivalent. Uh, Levi might today be a white supremacist. All right? And if the thought of Jesus having anything to do with a white supremacist seems completely offensive to you, well, that's the point. It was offensive to them, and it would be offensive to us as well. That is not the type of person you engage. That's the type of person you avoid, Right, Every culture has these categories. These are the good guys, and these are the bad guys. These are the religious. These are the sinners. These are the insiders. These are the outsiders. And, and, and in Jesus' day, um, each of them lived on parallel paths from the other. And, and there's always this, this very fair share of just self-righteous indignation towards those sinners, those guys that just disregard God. So you might say that they were living in a time and age that was polarized. And you know it's, it's too bad that that's not something we can relate to today, right? Um, so we're gonna have to get creative, we're gonna have to just imagine what might it be like to live in a culture that sizes people up and throws them into categories, right? Political categories, uh, social categories, religious categories, we, we define ourselves by these categories. This is who I am, this is what I stand for, and that is what I'm not, and it's what I stand against. And then, of course, we naturally expect, just like the Pharisees did, Jesus is standing with us. He obviously belongs in our category. Come on over here, Jesus, you're with us. After all, we're, we're the good guys. And, and we need to take a stand against those bad guys, right? So let me ask you are you starting to feel a little bit of sympathy for the Pharisees? I, I hope so, because there are many ways we are them and them is us. Uh, Jesus is hard to get. We cannot figure him out, we can only choose to follow his lead. We, create categories and Jesus crosses them. That's exactly what he's doing here. He's breaking the rules. He's making space in his life for those kinds of people. And so Levi ends up inviting Jesus over to his place for a barbecue or something like that. And and Jesus accepts. And, And then just imagine this scene. Levi invites his, his neo-Nazi friends over as well because they're the only friends he's got. No one else is hanging out with him. And can you just picture this scene? Jesus and his crew of merry men are mixing it up with a house filled with deplorables. Can, can you just imagine what that conversation must have sounded like that day? But, but don't miss the point the ones everyone else was trying to edge out, Jesus is inviting in. So, so here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Can, can what be said of Jesus be said of his followers? Can it be said of you and of me? Or are we content to just stay safe inside the confines of our own categories, our pre-constructed categories? You know, it's, it, it is worth noting That Jesus wasn't sinning with the sinners, he was sitting with them. He was eating with them. He was making space in his life for those who were far away from God. And the simple reason he says, I'm doing this, is because this is who I am. There is a redemptive reason. So he says, just like a doctor, doctors don't set up shops in the health club, Right? Doctors go to where the sick people are. That's just how the job gets done. And Jesus is saying, I'm simply doing what I came here to do. He's, he's the redeemer, he's the one who has the authority to forgive sins. And so it just makes sense that he would go to the place who, where the sinners were. You know, part of part of the point is to understand that if Jesus would extend an invitation like that to such a horrible human being like Levi, that he would open the door and say, hey, I've got space for you in my life, come follow me, then just maybe that same invitation is also extended to people like you and and like me for for all kinds of people in every category. And, And maybe the only qualification is that we recognize that we're sinners, that, that we need forgiveness, and that's it's kind of the, the very thing that self-righteous types are, are incapable of understanding. But either way, here's the point. Don't expect Jesus to stay contained to your category. He's the Redeemer, and the Redeemer's going to redeem. It's just what he's going to do. And if we don't get that, we're not going to get him. And there's a good chance we're going to find ourselves scratching our heads just like the scribes, finding out that those people that we're railing against, they're the very ones that Jesus is reaching out to. See, this guy Jesus, he's hard to get. We cannot figure him out. We can only choose to follow his lead. And so let's move on to exhibit number two. And this time the question comes from the people, from These inquiring minds who want to know, hey, Jesus, why aren't your followers, why aren't your disciples fitting into the mold? Why aren't they doing what they're supposed to do? So here's here's what it says. It says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins." but new wine is for fresh wineskins, all right? This is exhibit number two, and we find out that Jesus isn't the only one who has disciples. John the Baptist had disciples, and, and the Pharisees had their disciples, and, and a group of disciples in that day were kind of like, think of it like a team of athletes training under the same coach, And so when the people looked at John's team, when they looked at the Pharisees' team, they saw this very highly structured operation. The teams were devoted. They were disciplined. They were doing what they were supposed to do. They were doing their religious duty, like fasting, this spiritual exercise to get closer to the Lord. But then when they look at Team Jesus, that program looks kind of sloppy, guys, Jesus, your disciples aren't fasting. They look more like a band of merry men. So, hey, Jesus, what's up with that? What's going on here? And Jesus has an answer, and his answer is basically, now is not the time. Not that there's anything wrong, but now is not the time. He says, my disciples are doing exactly what they ought to be doing for the setting that they're in. So the issue, it's a matter of matching the right actions to the right setting, it's not that there's anything wrong with fasting, it's just that it wasn't the right time. Because no one fasts during a wedding. And Jesus explains, My disciples are the wedding guests. And then he very audaciously he, he assumes the part of the bridegroom. He says, That's me. And, and and that goes right over our heads, but but that term bridegroom, if you open up the New Testament, you see that it's a reference to the Messiah, to Israel's Messiah. This is is a title for the Savior. The, The ransom of Israel has finally arrived. He is on the scene. The one they've been waiting for, the one they've been longing for for so long, the one who was set to restore God's people and make things right again. Jesus unapologetically assumes that role. He says, that's me. And he says... Understand this, the celebrations are gonna continue on Team Jesus as long as I'm around. It's only appropriate. It's only right. See, the issue had very little to do with fasting and spiritual disciplines. It had everything to do with understanding who was there, who Jesus actually is, that that he is not just another religious teacher He didn't come to just put together another team and join the league. He came to start something entirely new, a whole different game. See, Jesus is is hard to get, and, and we can't figure him out. We can only choose to follow his lead. He refused, and he refuses to be contained to the confines of our expectations, whatever they are, if they're cultural, if they're societal, or in this place, if they're religious. First, he he blew up the categories we put people in. And, and here he's blowing up the boxes we contain religious to, religion to. And and he he drives home this point with with these two illustrations, patches and wineskins. And it's interesting, neither of those are familiar to us at all in our culture today. I remember I was probably about 10 years old when I when I remember my mom had this pile of patches and she would sew them onto the knees of my jeans when, our, you know, when I'd wear them out. And of course, today, you pay extra to buy a pair of jeans that already have the holes on them, so we don't understand this, but, but the idea is, is that if you sew a new patch onto something that hasn't gone, a patch that hasn't gone through the wash, it hasn't shrunk to size, and you put that on an already shrunk piece of clothing, it, it doesn't work. Don't even bother. It's a waste of time because that patch is is inevitably going to just tear off. You can't mix the old with the new. New wine had to get poured into new wine skins because those old wine skins were already stretched out and when the wine ferments, it would just burst them wide open and the wine would pour on the ground and it would be all wasted. Jesus is saying, understand this, you are never going to get me if you keep on coming to me with your pre-existing notions, assumptions, expectations, it's just not going to work. You know, we all have our idea. This is, this is how life is supposed to be. This is how people are supposed to act. This is how religion is supposed to be exercised. And Jesus is saying, drop those. Drop those expectations at the door because what he's saying is, I'm doing something completely new. There's, there is no reference point in the past for, for what Jesus came to do and who he is. And it's actually, it's not overstating it to say that what he is saying here is it's revolutionary. It's revolutionary. In, in this case, what he's making the point about is that, guys, don't try to fit me into the tr- traditional Jewish framework of faith That's what the people wanted. That's what they're looking for. It's what they were expecting. And and it's a big part of the reason why they couldn't figure him out. But Jesus didn't come to just add another flavor to the religious menu. He came to revolutionize our lives and and this planet. And, And that's what this third and this final exhibit Uh, that we're going to look at this morning, shows us. So just to read this last one, it says this, "'One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, "'and as they made their way, "'his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. "'And the Pharisees were saying to him, "'Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath?' "'And he said to them, "'Have you never read what King David did "'when he was in need and was hungry, "'he and those who were with him, "'how he entered the house of God "'in the time of Abiathar the high priest?' and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also he gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. All right. Exhibit number three. Uh, you know, We have a, we have a friend uh, came over to our house last Sunday after church. He's, he's an Orthodox Jew. He's a Absolutely lovely gentleman. And and he actually dropped off something for me. I want to show you what it is. He dropped off for me a signed picture from Chris Froome. You don't know who that is probably, but he is the four time Tour de France champion and he's currently riding for an Israeli team. It says this for Brian from Chris. Check that out. It's going to end up on my office wall, just just so you know. Um, But When we had our friend over, I got to tell you, it was a bit of a challenge to offer him anything to eat or to drink because there's just a lot of laws that he lives his life by. And I have a great amount of respect for how seriously he is about that. Um, You know, in the Old Testament, it it laid out the, the Ten Commandments. You know, you probably heard them. One of those Ten Commandments is this command... to to honor the Sabbath, to keep it holy. And and over the years, in an attempt to be helpful, the religious authorities started applying those commandments to all kinds of situations to spell out exactly what it looked like to honor those commandments, to keep them. And and there was this collective base of knowledge uh, that's known as the Mishnah or, or the traditions of the elders that have been written down Rules after rules after rules. And so it would say, you know, you can walk this many steps on the Sabbath, but no more. You can do this, but not that. And, and it's just this endless amount of lists of rules. And, and, and they were back then, and they still are today, life defining realities for those who live under the law. Follow the rules. And so here in this scene, the Pharisees are taking issue with Jesus because his disciples aren't following the rules. Look, Jesus, why are your disciples picking these grains? It's not lawful to do that on the Sabbath. Now, the law they're referring to is not the Ten Commandments. It's the traditions of the elders. It's that Mishnah. And and, and by the way, just to put this in context... Because it's easy to kind of point the finger at that, right? And say, yeah, those crazy law keepers. But it's more than just a religious experience. Keeping Sabbath for them, that was an issue of nationalistic pride. This is how they define themselves as special and unique over and against all the nations Of the world. It was a defining feature of what it meant to be Jewish. And so, if I can put it into perspective, what I want to say is that the disciples responded to what Jesus' disciples were doing the same way many people respond when they see pro athletes take a knee during the national anthem. Right? That's how they viewed keeping the Sabbath. Do you feel the rub? I hope so. You know, it's supposed to rub. Uh, So it's like, Jesus, why is your team kneeling? Tell them to get up. Why? Is that in the Bible? No, it's not, but it's the right thing to do. That's the way we do things in the US of A right around here. Jesus responds. He responds to their concern, to their question, but as you might expect, he doesn't back down. Instead, he brings it back to the Bible. He reminds them about this time that King David was hungry. Back in the Old Testament, this time King David didn't follow the rules. He ate the consecrated bread that was supposed to only be eaten by the priests. And yet, he's telling them, isn't, isn't King David a national hero? And then we have statues and monuments of him? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And then he wraps it up with these two declarations, these two summary statements. The first one is this, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Simply that means God's laws are intended to be a blessing, not a burden. Aren't you glad, right? Because when God's people were in Egypt and they were slaves, they didn't get a day off. They didn't get to rest. And so the first thing the Lord does after he leads them over into the, out of Egypt through the Red Sea, is he, he tells them, You're more than just work. You get a day off. Keep this day. Keep it holy. Keep it sacred. And Jesus is saying, You guys, you've turned the blessings of God into the burdens of man. And he says, I have no intentions of being a part of your rule keeping club. That's just not who I am and it's not what I'm about. And, and you know, just, just so we can say it, this is, this is not just a, a Jewish issue, you know, keeping laws and, and making up rules. This is what we do as fallen human beings. We, we love to make our lists, our lists of rules. We do that. Christians do that. Uh, you know, this is what a good Christian does. And over the generations, that list has, has changed and it's looked different, but there's there's a list, I, I, you know, there was generations ago where, you know, we, Christians don't dance. Christians don't drink alcohol. Christians don't go to the movies. Christians don't listen to secular music. And, and, and you know, the, the content of those lists may change, but, but we love our lists. It's something that we can cling to and feel secure about. So here's, here's, the, here's the deal is, if following Jesus is leading your life To a more burdensome existence. If it's weighing you down, stop and take a look at that. It's meant to be a blessing, not a burden. Does that mean that there's there's sacrifice? Yes, there is. Is there surrender? Absolutely. But it's always about letting go of something lesser to grab hold of something greater. Let's not lose sight of that. And then here's this last statement, and this one is the kicker. This is the bold one. He closes it with this. He says, so the Son of Man, it's a reference to himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. So he's already kind of hinted to it. New wine, new wine skins. But he's saying this. My authority surpasses the authority of your traditions, of the Mishnah, of the teachings of the elders. I am the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus is. I am the one who defines it, me, not them. And and make no mistake, that was the shot heard around the world. The Jewish authorities had been called out by this upstart rabbi in his claim to be a higher authority. Who does this guy think he is? Anybody able to figure this guy out? Jesus is hard to get. But the revolution has begun. Things are never going to be the same from this point forward because Jesus just refuses to fit the mold. He he breaks the mold. He keeps on, he keeps on. He's got this thing about putting himself right into the center of things and making it all about him. What, What is it with that guy? That's what he does because that's who he is. And until we understand that, we're not going to be able to get him. So, so here's the thing to just close and summarize the whole thing up. If you're, if you're interested in, in, in following Jesus and making space in your life for him, here's, here's what we need to understand, that, that following Jesus, don't think of it as like adding one more app to your iPhone, Right? Okay, you know, I got this. I'm going to add the Jesus app. No. Making space for Jesus in your life is downloading an entirely new operating system. He, he's not going to fit into our systems. He's not going to operate according to our expectations. He doesn't take the places and the positions that we would like him to stay in. And that's what makes him a threat. Not not only to the Jewish authorities, he's a threat to to us and to the kingdoms that we build apart from him. The things that we build our lives around that that, that has him off in the periphery instead of at the center. And so this is his invitation, follow me. Build your life around me. Put me right in the middle of it. And that's always gonna require some kind of some kind of displacement, something that's got to get out of the center that's there already. We aren't going to figure Jesus out, but we have one choice. We can follow his lead or not. Let's pray together.